to episode number 14 of the Bouncing Back podcast with me, James Middleton. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about something a little bit different compared to the previous episodes I've done. And a lot of what I've spoken about so far on this podcast has been around mindset and personal development and relationships and all that kind of thing, which I've really enjoyed. And I know you guys have enjoyed as well. And the feedback's been amazing. But today, I want to delve into the fitness side of things. Now, I said to myself, I want to strictly keep this podcast non-fitness related because I spend my whole life talking about fitness. But actually, I had a lot of requests from people, from yourselves, asking me if I could do something on fitness just to kind of have out there and something that you can listen to in depth and really learn about because the problem with me talking about fitness on Instagram and TikTok and all those platforms is you don't get very much time to grab people's attention. So often people miss content or they don't watch all of it. They're in a rush to scroll down to the next bikini photo or their next crush in short swim shorts with rippling abs. Whereas on something like a podcast, I can really get into the nitty gritty. Now it's not gonna be boring, don't worry. I never make sure that fitness is boring or I'll say that again I always make sure that fitness isn't boring but I'm going to be exposing some of the fitness industry nonsense because as a coach who's been working in this industry for a little bit and have seen all the all the crap that's out there and the fad diets and the lies that everyone gets told by certain people in the industry it's a very difficult sometimes world to navigate through so what I want to do is uncover some of the truths in the fitness industry kind of put the world right because I think it's incredibly important and probably very useful for a lot of you listening today so take this episode as almost like a mini fitness bible a myth busting fitness bible and I think once you finish listening to this episode you'll be able to walk away with a lot of nuggets of information factual information that hopefully will not only help yourself but you can then tell other people your friends your family you can share this episode with with these people and tell them look this is this is the hard truths and this kind of thing I wish I listened to not just at the beginning of my coaching career but also when I was 16 17 and properly training because it would have helped me prevent making so many mistakes that I've made and I'm sure a lot of mistakes and errors and rabbit holes that you guys have fallen down as well with your own fitness journey so hopefully this is going to be a good one and you know I'm never going to veer away from the mindset thing and improving ourselves as humans um, in that facet but I want to do a bit of uncovering here um, as well as put as put as many of the sort of most common myths that I see and you see floating around this space so I'm going to run through I'd say probably the the top 10 most important things I've learned along the way that I wish I wish someone had told me right from the start so here we go and I'm I'm really hoping that you find this incredibly valuable. I know it's talking about fitness and I know you guys love the mindset and the relationship and the sex talk, you dirty buggers, but we'll get back onto that in another episode. I thought I couldn't leave out something like this as a fitness coach. Anyway, it might surprise you or some of you that I've only been a personal trainer for two years. I know, <gasps> two years, no way, that's nothing. How do we believe James? How do we trust James? Well. I officially qualified as one as a personal trainer over two years ago. So on paper, I haven't been in the fitness industry for very long compared to some of the veterans who have been in the space for 10, 20 years. Now experience of course is important when it comes to being a good coach. In fact, in any industry, 
experience is also something that is appealing to employers, to clients, whatever you name it. However, as with any industry too, and in particular the fitness industry, experience or time in the industry doesn't necessarily mean you're trustworthy. There are thousands of experienced coaches out there who chat absolute rubbish for a living because they're trying to sell an incredibly biased book they've written or they have shares in another person's nonsensical book, one-dimensional book they're trying to push to. I know and have seen a lot of experienced, quotation marks, experienced coaches who chat the most amount of garbage. And sometimes it's quite frightening because they are very convincing. And they say a lot of stuff that even I don't understand. And you might think, well, I don't really understand this, but it seems like they know what they're talking about. But not always necessarily because of what they're saying, although that is also sometimes frightening, but who is listening and who is buying into it? And there's a lot of very fickle people out there who are desperate for help. So they clinch on and, and latch on to any kind of help that they deem makes sense in their own mind. I haven't been in the industry very long, but as a coach, and I don't really like calling myself a personal trainer because not in an arrogant way at all, but I feel like a personal trainer is a bit it's a bit old school. And when I think a personal trainer, I think of just someone who stands in the gym you know, twiddling their thumbs and not really doing much. So I'm, I like to label myself as a coach because I talk more about just lifting a barbell up and down. But as a coach, one of the first things I said to myself when beginning to practice my teaching and coaching was to always stay true to myself and never sell myself out to make money or become better known or grow my business. I wanted to be the coach who always stated the facts based on science, not opinion or personal feelings, and always gave people the honest truth when it came to fitness, becoming healthy and doing it in the most enjoyable way possible. Because as with anything, what's the point of doing something if you can't find a way to enjoy it? If you don't enjoy doing something, the chances are that you're not gonna stay consistent with it and you'll have a high probability of failing or stopping altogether. The fitness industry can be a pretty dry and boring place I know that and sometimes I think oh, these people are dry and serious and that's no fun in fact and this is no disrespect to personal trainers who may be listening and you may know some you know, as I know a lot and, and some are actually my very close friends but the majority of trainers are just very boring people they are and they don't like socializing because well drinking pints and eating out ruins their meticulous OCD routine and messes up their macros. They like getting up at 5 a.m., meal prepping their chicken, rice and broccoli for the day into their Tupperware because they wouldn't dairy anything other than that during the week. They train their clients, they come home, they make more chicken, rice and broccoli and go to bed at 9 p.m. Now, like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what turns you on and keeps your engine running, fantastic. But it's just never been that appealing to me. And I've never been that kind of coach. I like drinking beers, I like going out for dinner, I like dancing in someone's kitchen until 3 a.m. But I also like training hard, eating healthy, and giving my 100% focus and commitment to all my clients around the world. I like the balance of it, and I like what it offers. I like the discipline that fitness offers, and I like the freedom that it also creates to go and do things that I wanna do and have fun, because to me, fitness is a lifestyle. It's not my entire life, it plays a big part in it, but I will always make 
a conscious effort not to let it over consume my life because I've seen how miserable that can make people. When fitness becomes all consuming, that's when disordered eating can creep in, body dysmorphia, insecurities, three things that you'll be quite shocked to know a lot of coaches out there, yes, the ones you see on Instagram and YouTube, have. A lot of coaches suffer from body dysmorphia, insecurity, and disordered eating. Oh, and there is an underlying amount of coaches who also take steroids. Yeah, they are very rife in the fitness industry. And yet, weirdly, a lot of these coaches don't admit that they're taking them. No idea why. Maybe it's a shame thing. But if I was to be taking steroids, which, disclosure, FYI, I've never touched in my life. Some people think I have or do, again, probably coming from a place of insecurity themselves because they can't deal with the fact I hold more muscle than them and they can't get to that level without taking something. I would just own up to it and come clean about it and probably document the effects, both positive and negative, they have on my body and mind so other people could see the reality of it. Anyway, that's probably a topic that can wait for another episode. But my point I want to get at before we dive into uncovering some hard truths in the fitness industry is this. And sorry if it's a little somber, but the fitness industry is a very messed up world with a lot of messed up people in it. The good thing is, and I always like to end little topics on a positive, it's also filled with a lot of incredible people and incredible coaches who are looking to do things right and genuinely help people because that's what they love doing, not just for the sake of paying off their steroid addiction or their Mercedes that they've leased sitting in the garage, which they can't afford unless they sell more tea and stupid keto diets. Again, we'll get onto that later. <laughs> but what I wanna do in this podcast is run through some of the things that, as I've said, I wish I'd got told just when I qualified as a trainer, but. 12 years ago when training and eating became a really important part of my life when I was playing rugby. In fact, I wish, I wish there was a fitness Bible that had all the truths people need to know when starting their fitness journey. It would save so much ag for people and would make the world a genuinely better place. In fact, hold on a second, that's given me an idea. A beginner's guide to fitness. How about that, a beginner's guide to fitness. Everything you need to know upon starting your journey. Right, I'm actually gonna write that down quickly. You've heard it here first. Do not go off and steal that, by the way. Okay, I'm, I'm dating this. Do not go out and steal that. In fact, you know what? I'm gonna get that title copyrighted as soon as this podcast finishes. But how useful would that be? I'm sure many of you are nodding in agreement. It's something I would have loved to have had when starting my journey and also my career as a coach and, and being able to direct clients or people, the public, to it. You know, instead people have to either learn the hard way like I've done, like I'm sure a lot of you have done, when they're sold some nonsense diet tea that'll help them lose weight or some absurd fad diet that is apparently some miracle worker and burns fat 15 times faster than normal, absolute rubbish, or they have to do the research themselves, which can be very confusing and daunting because there is so much information and conflicting information out there if you don't know where to look properly. But the good news is this is where I like to come in and give you the straight talking facts so you don't have to spend hours researching it all yourself. I've already done that for you. And I've also simplified everything because again, in the fitness industry, people love to overcomplicate things so that you as the consumer don't really understand, but it sounds fancy and intelligent, so you believe it. 
But I have this thing I like to think about whenever I'm explaining something and as an expert in any industry, you should be able to explain it to a five-year-old so that they can understand you. And I always have that in the back of my mind whenever I'm talking about fitness because it's true you don't need to complicate things for people we we as coaches can understand all the complicated scientific stuff but but you guys don't need to now the first one that we're going to come on to okay and probably the most important one is this the only way and you've probably heard me say this a million times the only way you will ever lose body fat is by being in a calorie deficit period now a calorie deficit is when you are burning more energy than you are consuming or you are consuming less energy than you are burning. Those of you that have been following me for a while will be nodding your head going, yeah, yeah, I've heard you say this a million times, but I'm saying it again because there'll be new people on here who might not know what that is. And there's no harm in just listening to it again. We'll get onto the juice stuff in a second. I just wanted to get the fundamental one out of the way first. But let's say in a day, I burn 2,500 calories, okay? In an entire day, that's how much energy I'm expending. Now, for me to be in a calorie deficit, I would have to consume less than 2,500 calories. I can consume 2,300 calories, 2,100 calories, 2,000 calories. That difference is where the calorie deficit is and that is where fat loss takes place. The only way to lose body fat is by being in that calorie deficit. Every human on earth that has ever lived in the entirety of humanity has only ever lost weight because they have been in a caloric deficit that is a scientific, factual phenomenon that you cannot argue with. So don't bloody try. And if someone tells you there's another way of losing weight, losing body fat, tell them they're chatting bollocks. And that is why any diet you ever do works for fat loss. The common response in the fitness world when someone says, how do I lose weight? A lot of the time the answer fitness coaches give and myself included is calorie deficit. Now that advice is not wrong, but it's very generic advice and actually out of context it's a little bit poor it's not quite as simple as calories in versus calories out although that is the crux of it but if you see my videos before yes you might be thinking wait hold on James does that all the time yes I do I do I know but I also give a lot of context around it which is what is necessary to understand it the whole question how do I lose weight and the answer calorie deficit is a bit like asking someone how do I save money? And someone responding, spend less of it. It doesn't quite cut the mustard. It doesn't quite give you the bigger picture. Now, the thing with the answer calorie deficit is that it explains nothing about things such as your hormones, your daily behavior, your metabolic rate, lifestyle factors such as sleep and sex and stress, all of these things that are fundamental in understanding more about what a caloric deficit is and how you achieve it. Now the tricky thing is, right, calorie deficit is all about energy balance. Energy in versus energy out. But how do you measure how much energy you're expending on a daily basis? I know maybe some of you right now are thinking, oh, well, fitness trackers and smartwatches. But these things aren't 100%. So don't rely on those completely, first of all, because unless you're in some kind of metabolic chamber with everything and all the factors controlled around you, it is impossible to know exactly how many calories you are burning in a day. Equally, calories in is hard too with our consumption. There are discrepancies everywhere on MyFitnessPal. There are discrepancies on food packaging. There are different types of food packaging, different brands for different types of food, and it's all very, very difficult. So again, it's not 100% accurate, and we won't 
ever know exactly how much food or calories we're consuming on a daily basis. So it's not quite as straightforward as calories in versus calories out. In fact, things like what you eat are massively important because that determines how much you eat and how much you eat determines how many calories you're burning in a day. Another example is sleep. How much sleep you're getting will alter how many calories you're consuming in a day. If you're not getting enough sleep and you're tired, you lack that energy and you want those pick-me-ups because you need it, you need the energy and you turn to sugary foods and foods that are going to give you that little kick and that's what leads to an overconsumption of calories very very quickly as a woman it's incredibly important to understand where you are in your menstrual cycle and how that will massively affect your hormones which again affects your mood affects things like cravings for things like sugary and high fatty foods this is fundamental to understand as a woman when it comes to learning about calories knowing your body and being in a calorie deficit and when are the optimum opportunities to really hone in on it and when you can afford to sit back and relax a bit. So for every single person, the surface level calorie deficit is going to be the answer to fat loss. However, each individual is different and each individual needs to understand the depth behind what actually that means for them and what they need to do. Now, there are a few key points that I'm gonna share with you now, which anyone who is on a weight loss journey or in fact, not on a weight loss journey, but wanting to master the basics of staying healthy, which you should focus on in your daily life. And if you can get these things right, then you will be well on your way to achieving the rest of it. So actually this can be applied to not just weight loss, but with muscle building and just generally living a healthier lifestyle. The first one is food quality. Yes, quantity of food is important and calories are important because at the end of the day, it is simply energy in versus energy out but if you can focus on eating good nutritious food this will massively help with the calories that you are consuming and to keep them fairly low the second one a big one for me is a high protein diet you will hear a lot of people doctors in fact doctors out there who by the way are, are notorious for giving the worst kind of fitness and nutrition advice because they're all old school um, I've written books as well. These guys have written books to say that a high protein diet is bad for you. It's bad for your kidneys and all this nonsense. Therefore, do keto. Oh, give it a rest, mate. There is no proof. There is no scientific evidence out there yet, yet to suggest that a high protein diet does any damage to you. The good thing about having a high protein diet is that protein has the highest thermic effect of food. It requires your body the most amount of energy to use to break it down out of all the food you eat, out of all the macros. It also keeps you full for longer. So if you're looking to lose weight, you wanna be full a lot of the time, right? Because that's gonna stop you from getting those little cravings and eating those extra calories. So when people come to me and they say, James, oh, I've got all these cravings and I can't stop eating M&Ms and sweets and crisps, because you're not getting enough protein in your main meals. If you're eating enough protein, you're gonna be full and you're not gonna want that stuff. And as well as lots of protein, Try to aim for high fibrous vegetables or food that's high in fiber as well. Fiber is very, very good for you and it's a massively underrated food source that I think we should all be consciously trying to consume more of. So a high protein diet and a high fiber diet. The third one, and this is to do with your energy expenditure, is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. You will have heard me talking about NEAT before, that's what it stands for. So all the energy you burn in a day that is outside of exercise and sleeping is your need. So moving, 
walking, fidgeting, typing on your keyboard, all of this adds to that energy expenditure. So if you can focus on getting your NEAT up, which plays around 15%, 15% of your total daily calories that you burn in a day, which is quite a lot, then you'll be on a great track to increasing those calories and therefore increasing that chance of that deficit. Number four, sleep. Oh my gosh, the amount of my clients that do not get enough sleep is actually scary. We live in this society where for some reason you're a freaking legend if you don't sleep much or you don't need much sleep and you can still fully function. It's absolute nonsense. You do not win any awards for getting as little sleep as possible and still being able to, to work. Particularly my mates who work in the city investment banking, it's disgusting. They go to bed at 2 a.m. in the morning and they're up at 6 and they do that Monday to Friday. No wonder why on the weekends they get absolutely leathered because their life is miserable and they're shattered during the week. And even I used to think like this. I used to think, right, I'm going to get around five to six hours sleep because that's the minimum I need and work like an absolute machine and that'll be fine. But it's rubbish and it's detrimental to your health. Aim for seven to eight hours sleep a night. It's not like you have to have eight or you're going to die or like that's the best for everyone. Some people work efficiently and best on six hours and that's fine for you. Everyone is different, but somewhere between seven and eight is what's recommended. Sleep is where you get the most recovery from. It's a reset button. Your body needs to recover in order for your brain and your body to function at its optimum. You want to have good sleep so that during the day, you're not needing stuff to pick you up, to give you that energy. Like I mentioned before, the sugary crap people often turn to. So if you can get your sleep right, it will have such a big impact on so many areas of your life. Go to bed and wake up at the same time every day if you can because this does wonders to your circadian rhythm and is what helps you fall asleep quicker and wake up more easily. The final one is consistency. Be consistent with everything. There is no point doing these things for a couple of days and then not getting any sleep and sitting on the sofa all day and not moving and eating crisps and sugar and then, you know, missing out all your vegetables for a couple of days but then going back to eating high protein for a couple of days try and be consistent you've got to try and be consistent with it all they're not difficult things to try and focus on and if you can nail those things you'll be in such a good position so although i kind of split those into separate truths under the whole calorie deficit term that whole first point was calorie deficit now don't worry they're not all going to be that long but that was a kind of a very important point okay Right, let's move on. Let's let's whiz through these. The second truth that I think is so important to know is this. If you like weights, lift weights. If you like doing cardio, running on the running machine, rowing, cycling, do those things, do cardio. If you like yoga, do yoga. If you like spinning, do spinning. If you want to lose weight, put yourself in that calorie deficit and then put what ever you fancy and enjoy doing it's so common for people to think that weight loss comes from exercise it's probably the number one misconception out there james what's the best exercise or workout to do for fat loss james what workout is best to burn the most amount of calories there isn't one you can do all the exercise in the world but if you're eating more than you're consuming you won't lose weight and remember this right so you'll need takes up 15% of your total daily energy expenditure, 15%. Exercise accounts for about 5%.
of the total calories you burn in a day, which is nothing. So you're far better off focusing on getting your neat up than stressing about exercise. And on that point, the majority of calories you burn in a day comes from everything other than exercising. So don't exercise to burn calories because that's a miserable existence and you won't last. Instead, focus on improving or using exercise as a way to get stronger and a way to get fitter and a way to push your body and see that progress. Don't focus on the numbers, on the scales, focus on improving the numbers in your training. Not only will you then enjoy it more, but you'll get better results all round. And that, I promise you. The third truth, there isn't a single food group that makes you fat. (gasps) That's not true, well it is. Because despite everything you may have seen or read about, sugar, carbs, fat, none of these by themselves cause weight gain. Sugar alone doesn't make you fat. Carbs alone don't make you fat. Fat alone doesn't make you fat. Eating too many calories over an extended period of time is what causes weight gain. To put this into perspective, you could eat pizza every day and only pizza and not gain weight. Because if you're consuming less calories than you're burning, or even the same calories as you're burning, you're not going to go above that deficit or maintenance. Only when you go above your maintenance level and you start consuming more calories than you're burning will you start gaining body fat. And that's why I always say to people, a couple of high calorie meals won't make you fat. Just like you won't lose weight by eating a few low calorie meals, a few high calorie meals won't make you put on weight. It's if you're doing either or over a sustained period of time, that's when things start to change. So enjoy your damn pizza, team club sandwich. It's the same with missing a few training sessions or you've taken a week or two off. You didn't put on lots of muscle and strength in two weeks and become super fit. You're not gonna lose all your muscle and strength in just two weeks. Perspective here is really important as often people panic when they miss a few workouts or have a few days of not eating well. So just remember that you didn't get that you didn't get to the level you're at in just a few weeks you're not going to lose it in just a few weeks okay and you've always got that opportunity to just start again and keep it ticking over the fourth truth you cannot choose where your body loses fat spot reduction is what it's called doesn't exist so when you see things on social media in magazines or on youtube such as burn belly fat fast with this workout or five exercises to burn leg fat It's all for marketing purposes, to suck you in. If you want to get rid of bingo wings, doing lots of arm exercises isn't the answer. If you want to lose belly fat, doing lots of sit-ups isn't the answer. If you want to lose thigh fat, thigh fat, thigh fat. There we go, that was a tongue twister. If you want to lose thigh fat, doing lots of squats isn't the answer. You get my drift here. The only way to lose body fat is by yes you guessed it well done calorie deficit i reckon i've said that about 300 times in this episode i would love to know how many times i've uttered those words actually since i started my coaching i reckon it's in 10 20,000 maybe more anyway i digress it's in your genetics okay where you lose body fat on your body first for some people it's their stomach for others it's their legs others it's their arms some it's their face some people their face stays fat towards the very end there's nothing you can do about it 
where it falls off first. So there's no point trying to control that. The one thing you do have control over though is where your body builds muscle. The most efficient way to build muscle is through resistance training. So targeting areas of your body with lifting weights is beneficial, even doing body weight stuff, more beneficial for females than males, but you know, using TRX, bands, any kind of resistance. And it's something that I encourage everyone to do due to the plethora of benefits that comes with lifting weights. The fifth truth, halfway through, fat burning pills, detox teas, ab vibrators, and all fad diets are complete rubbish being sold by zealots and spunk monkeys. Those are two scientific terms, by the way, for morons, just in case you didn't know what they were. I'm kidding, they're not scientific, but I'm gonna say they are because they're funny. Ignore it all. The faster you try and lose weight, the faster you'll put it back on. There's that old chestnut saying, Rome wasn't built in a day. You trying to lose weight or build muscle won't happen in a day either. And there is nothing out there, no product, no solution that beats hard work and consistency. You don't need pills. You don't need teas. You don't need vibrators. Correction, actually. You do need vibrators, but they should be kept and used and stored in the bedroom for pleasure purposes only not to get abs, all right? So don't go strapping them to your abdominals. <laughs> Any diet you see, that I we always there's, I always manage to sl slip in some sort of sexual innuendo, I love it. Anyway, any diet you see that says results in weeks or burns body fat faster than any other diet, again, is A, total rubbish, or B, total rubbish. The best diet in the world is the one that works for you that you can enjoy and adhere to for the rest of your life and not sacrifice your whole life maintaining it. There is no superior diet out there. Intermittent fasting, despite what you may have read or been told, isn't superior to just a normal diet. It's literally just skipping breakfast, but it, that might suit you. You might just wanna have two meals a day, one in the afternoon and one in the evening. And if it works for you, it works for you. The reason why people lose weight on it is because they've skipped out breakfast. They've skipped out a whole meal and suddenly they've reduced their eating window. So lo and behold, they're consuming less calories, creating that deficit. Wow, no way. <laughs> the keto diet isn't superior either. In fact, I think it sucks. I think it sucks. Imagine not being able to have a sandwich or a club sandwich for that matter, or eat a pizza or have a bowl of pasta and walk around having smelly breath to top it all off. Oof, not for me, thanks. Ever met someone doing keto? Woo! Get some Wrigley's down there, mate. Right, the definition of miserable, I reckon. So it's all personal to you. But if that, I mean, if that sounds appealing, if, if, if keto works for you, do it. But it's just not for me. I just would never be able to see myself doing it. And so I like to have a bit of banter and bash it off. Um, but despite what anyone says, don't believe that one is superior than the other, okay? As long as you're consuming the right amount of calories for your goals and you're consuming all the right nutrients, it's healthy and balanced, you'll be winning. Sometimes I wish I had a sniper and I could just sit on top of my house and just pop those numb nuts in the head every time they tried to sell their stupid little juice and cleansing book or soup. Someone said, James, can I eat soup for seven days to lose weight? Oh, no, don't do that. That sounds like a terrible idea and a terrible week ahead. Because guess what happens? You eat soup for seven days and then you go back to eating normally and boom, it all comes back on again. 
have a day off have a day off will you no one wants to eat soup for seven days <laughs> right went on a bit of a rant there Woo! calm down james the sixth truth it makes no difference to your body composition training fasted or unfasted or training morning or night again a bit like what diet you choose do what works for you if you want to have breakfast before you train in the morning then do if you are going to do that though i would what i would suggest is eating breakfast an hour before you train because otherwise there's no point as your body won't have the time to digest it properly and you'll be using energy from the meal you had the night before anyway so if you are going to have breakfast make sure you're having it at least an hour before you train otherwise you might as well not i mean obviously if you want to you know slip a banana in or some fruit you don't need that bigger window but if you want to eat something properly allow an hour if you're going for world records or optimum performance then i would suggest the best time to train is around midday or 1 p.m because statistically and here's a fun fact for you this is when most world records have been achieved as your body at this time is the most alert and awake at this point in the day however aside from that train whenever you want but try and keep the time you train each day consistent and this is something that i tell all my clients and myself as well i will train at the same time pretty much every single day because when you train at the same time every day or however many times you're training a week it's much easier to build that habit and fit it into your routine as a, as a permanent fixture that you do and it just becomes easier and if it's easier you're more likely to do it building on from the first part of that actually before i move on to number seven in fact this could be truth number seven but what you eat matters more than when you eat the quality of the food you eat consuming the right nutrients a high protein diet lots of fibrous vegetables fruit are all massively important and more so than when you're consuming it in the day no eating breakfast doesn't boost your metabolism all it does is have your metabolism working sooner in the day metabolism is just the process in which your body breaks down and digests food that's it breakfast doesn't boost this or speed the process up and your metabolism is actually largely down to your genetics how quick it is if you don't like breakfast or you're not hungry in the morning don't eat it if you want to do intermittent fasting and eat two meals a day in the, two meals in the day do that if you want to only have one meal a day do that now obviously for someone like myself that would be impossible not impossible but it would be a big old sitting of food to get everything i need to eat in one you know in one sitting before um before it would you know work for me but but for some people that works think about ramadan for example lots of people go to eating just one meal a day in the evening and they make it work on the flip side if you're looking to build muscle in the most efficient way possible you want to be consuming protein three to four hours every three to four hours sorry so that your body can absorb it and use it optimally there's been talk i know there's been talk and you might have heard of it that our bodies can only absorb 35 grams of protein per sitting and then after that it uses it as energy or it flushes it down and you basically pull it out but in a study conducted i wrote this down i think in yeah 2018 it suggests that we should be consuming around 0.4 grams of protein per kg of body weight per meal over the basis of four meals that would be your optimum optimum amount in particular if you're looking to build muscle and you're looking at the higher end of that you'd be looking to hit over two grams of protein per kg of body weight per meal then you'd be sorry that's not per meal you'd be looking to hit over two grams of protein per kg of body weight so per meal 
that would work out to be about 0.55 grams of protein per kg of body weight per mil. Now this gets a little bit complicated, you don't really need to worry about all that, but that is suggesting the optimal amount of protein that your body should be absorbing on a daily basis spread across four meals. And I always say, just to keep it simple, aim for 1.5 to two grams of protein per kg of body weight a day. But again, do what works for you, play around. So long as you're consuming adequate protein and on the bigger scale, all the right nutrients your body needs, that is what is important, okay? Right, That let's say that's number seven, because then we can move on to eight. And then we've got two more after that. The eighth truth, people will get into bed with you because of your personality. Not because you have a six pack, not because you have a thigh gap, or you can bench press 160 kg or hip thrust 180 kg. Don't ever try to sacrifice everything that's enjoyable in life to get down to that last one or 2% of body fat. Not only will it not make you happier when you get there, because trust me, I've done this before, I wanted to get down to like 11% body fat, something absurd, thinking that it would make me happy and I'd be able to sleep with loads of women and I'd be the sexiest man alive. I got there, did it do anything to me? No. Was I miserable for about six, seven months trying to get there? Yes. No one cares. By the time someone is in bed with you, they've already made up their mind that they like you. The only reason I can think of, if they do wanna get out of that bedroom, is if you do something weird or you start getting a bit freaky, a bit too freaky, and they're like, whoa, okay, this isn't for me, all right? So on that note, don't mess it up. You've done all the hard work getting them there. Just seal the deal, okay? Don't mess it up in the bedroom. Now, what a lot of people do who lack confidence with their body is they have sex with the lights on. Off, sex with the lights off, 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 off. And I get it, particularly with a stranger, you might not feel too comfortable with that stranger. So the lights off makes it easier and more relaxing. But, but, turn the lights on from time to time. Go on, have sex with the lights on. Appreciate your body, appreciate that person being able to see your body. Sex with the lights on is great because you can see everything that's going on. And I promise you, it will help you build that confidence up. If you do really struggle with doing that, have a few tequilas before, that'll rally you up. Not too many, though. We don't want you to get carried away and turn the disco lights on and start whipping out, no pun intended, the chains and the handcuffs. All right, maybe we do. Right, I'm, I'm meant to be talking about fitness here and I've gone full sex talk, but you get my drift, okay? Don't sacrifice everything to try and trim off that last bit of body fat because the bottom line is people don't care. The final two points, point number nine. You can have the best body in the world and be the fittest person on the planet, but if you don't look after your mind as number one, the former doesn't matter. This is exactly why I introduced mindset coaching to my clients and incorporate it into my coaching because I was seeing that so many clients were walking away having spent five to six months with me in the best shape they've ever been physically, training really well, eating really well, but still something wasn't quite right. They were still a little bit unhappy. And it's because they hadn't done any work upstairs with their mind, with knowing their true selves and who they really are. There are so many miserable people with rippling abs and bums carved out by the gods because that, like I mentioned, doesn't matter. 
people think having a good body is going to solve all their problems and when they get there they realize it doesn't and they're still unhappy sometimes i wish that people obsess with themselves and what they look like and how many hours and hours a day they spend in the gym would be as obsessed with looking after their mind and doing more personal development work so make sure you're doing things that are good for your soul too and keeping you happy and keeping your mind right because life is way too short to be unhappy and life is also way too short to be completely obsessed with looking a certain way because like I said the bottom line is people like you for who you are not what you look like yes we all want to look good there's nothing wrong with aesthetic goals and wanting to look fit and wanting to look healthy I'm not saying that but what I'm saying is, is don't ever let it become to a point where you're sacrificing your mental health for it finally point number 10 remember to smile remember to smile and enjoy the journey and not take it all too seriously because otherwise what is the point what is the point in doing all of this if you can't enjoy it if you can't wake up with a smile if you're going to bed miserable if you're in the gym miserable eating your salad miserable the fitness industry can be a very serious and dry industry i know because i bloody work in it and most fitness people let's be honest are a bit boring and a bit dry just like the chicken that they eat and it makes the industry boring sometimes too which is why with my content i like to keep it fun i like to keep it light-hearted and entertaining because i don't want to get sucked into that that boring monotonous world it can be fitness is meant to be fun so is the journey of improving becoming stronger becoming more knowledgeable about yourself and about your body and understanding yourself better and feeling better as a result make fitness an important part of your life but don't let it over consume you because that's also unhealthy keep the balance and for the love of god keep smiling and enjoying it because otherwise what is the point I really hope these insights into some of the hard truths within the fitness industry will help you on your own journey or even enable you to tell friends or family or anyone you know or meet about what not to believe and what to know is the truth. I've only covered a slice of the cake. There's still a lot out there and I'll probably do future episodes on more of you know uncovering the truths because as a coach and someone who works in the industry, I feel it's my duty to keep dispelling the myths, but also to keep ensuring that health and fitness, whatever you want to call it, is fun and enjoyable. Please share this podcast with anyone who you think could benefit from listening. Give it a five-star rating on iTunes because I will love you forever for it. And stay safe out there. It can be a big, bad world. But having listened to this, I hope you are now ready to take it on with a little bit more ammunition by your side thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it and i'll catch you soon take care